watching all movies with Rebecca and Jason. Are you gonna love them or hate them? Here, Here comes, comes the binge. binge. Hey everybody, welcome to The Binge, in which a couple of homos review the latest movies. I am Jason Leroy. And I'm Rebecca Velarte, and today we have for you four movies. Phantom Thread, The Commuter, In the Fade, and Film Stars Don't Die in Liverpool. And as always, we're going to rate these movies on a three-tiered scale, with Binge It being our highest rating. Consume in moderation means it's okay, but it's kind of meh. And send it back means... Life's too short for that mess. Correct as usual. Jason, the answer is life is too short for that mess. Jason, what is up with you? Well, Rebecca, uh, I am still basking in the after globe, if you will, oh. of the Golden Globes. Guys, as we tape this, it is Thursday, just uh, four days after the cataclysmic events of, of Golden Globe Sunday. And uh, so in internet time, it's an old story. Mm-hmm. It's our first episode since then. And so, gosh, we still want to talk about it. Rebecca, did you watch... Uh, I watched a little bit uh, at the airport at LAX, which was, Mm. it was surprising that all of the TVs were tuned to football and none of them were tuned to the uh, Golden Globes. That is upsetting. Isn't that weird? That is unacceptable. I I was able to stream a little bit of it um, at the time and then... and then when I got home, I had recorded it and I watched it Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in what was not real time. Dan, did you also record the red carpet? No, I never watched the red carpet. I normally don't either, and Scott does. It's a source of tension. (laughs) Uh, But this year, uh, I was like, okay, sure, I'll watch because it's going to be different. Was it indeed different? It was. How so? Uh, Well, uh, you know, there was so much pressure this year on the red carpet to, well, not only... Okay, so there was, first of all, the decision to wear black uh, in solidarity with the Time's Up movement. Uh, and there was sort of a lot of pressure on the red carpet correspondents to not do the usual thing and not be like, who are, who are you, you wearing? wearing? But instead to be like, uh, you know, why are you wearing black? And to just like set them up with opportunity after opportunity after, after opportunity to talk about these issues. And then a lot of, uh, actresses brought activists as their dates. Mm-hmm. Um, we were not approached uh no no once uh, again once we advertised our services uh we're like yeah sure we're uh we went to the women's march uh we made up that whole fake uh non-profit yeah yeah no and uh didn't take didn't take uh but you know so and it, it is you know it was still it was awkward um just because you know these red carpet correspondents are not equipped to mm. have serious conversations uh, and so you had, you know, your Julian Arancix and your Ryan Seacrest uh, trying to keep up with these conversations and just be like nodding and encouraging and affirming um, while also trying to like be like, so, you know, you're here, you're nominated for this movie. Are you excited? Because they're still going to ask about like some of that stuff. Right. And so it just led to a lot of awkward situations where you'd have like Ryan Seacrest talking to Michelle Williams and being like, Michelle Williams is here and she's nominated for all the money in the world. Michelle you look amazing. You're so great in the film. How are you feeling about tonight? And she's like, well, I'm especially excited to have uh, as my guest, Tarana Burke, the founder of the Me Too movement. And um, and he's like, that's great. Hi, Tarana. Great to meet you. And she's like, hi. And he's like, Michelle, uh, you just your movie was a big story this year. Uh, Christopher Plummer, last minute replacement. Uh, you know, how are you feeling about the film at this point? And she's like, I, I-, I feel really great about it. Um, I'd rather talk about Tarana and what her movement has represented. And he's like, right, hi, Tarana. Uh, and it was just a lot of that sort of back and forth. Very awkward. 
Um, but overall, I mean, I'd never seen anything like it. And with E, there was also the issue of uh, multiple uh, actresses confronting the E anchors about the whole pay disparity situation with the departed anchor, Kat Sadler. Mm-hmm. I, I made that noise. I have no idea what that actually means. Oh, uh, so there's a, there's a female anchor named Kat Sadler uh, who left E recently because she found out that the guy who she was kind of co-anchoring with, who came on the same time as her, um, who was, they were kind of doing different things, but in her estimation, they were doing like the same amount of things. Uh, he was making like double what she was making. And mm-hmm. she went to them about it and they were like, yep, that's the case. Uh, oh, wow, okay. And she's like, cool, I guess I'm going to go. And they're like, okay, bye. And so Amy Schumer on Instagram was telling everyone, like, you need to, if you're on the red carpet at the Golden Globes, you should ask E why they don't believe in pay income equality. And, uh, and who are the E uh, correspondents Julie, on the carpet? Juliana and Ryan Seacrest. Juliana oh. Rancic and Ryan Seacrest. And, uh, and so, like, right off the bat, the first person that Juliana talks to is Deborah Messing. No, no. And I see Auntie Deb hanging back there behind Juliana while she Juliana setting her up, and I'm thinking like Deb might go for it. She's like she she really. My sense is that Deb is very eager to prove herself as like a good soldier mm-hmm. to like the younger generation of like of, of female actors and comics. And um and she was you know she was super 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 outspoken about Hillary, mm-hmm. and so I was like she might do it, and she fucking did it. Uh, she went right in. Um, you know, they were talking and they were talking about the issues and wearing black and times up. And then Deborah's like, and I was actually very shocked and saddened to learn that E doesn't believe that women should make as much as men make. Um, and just kind of went in and Juliana just like stared at her blankly, like giving nothing. And then, uh, and eventually Juliana was like, yes. And times up is very important. And, uh, and just brought back around to that. And then meanwhile, it's an unfortunate situation that it's a woman correspondent that has to field that question i know i know it's like what is she gonna do well and i think that you know deborah messing might think well you're a female anchor at e like what do you think about this yeah i mean that has a very like let me talk to your manager feel about it like i mean (laughs) i mean mean, she's not in a position to like leave her job she probably already feels embarrassed that she has to like do this yeah i feel like they Um, had a memo probably sent out about how to handle it right but then like ava longoria and sarah jessica parker all confronted ryan seacrest about it and uh, and he was just like, oh, yeah, no, we love Cat. We love Cat. That's all he said. Anyway, that was the red carpet. The award ceremony, I thought, was just one of the most impactful, memorable award ceremonies I've ever seen. Wow. Like, ever. Uh, you know, I, I was really happy with most of the wins. Mm-hmm, I, I felt mm-hmm. really happy that basically our two kind of favorite movies of the year, Lady Bird and Three Billboards, mm-hmm. performed incredibly well. Little his and hers. Oh, yeah. It's Picks. the best. Yeah. Um, TV wise, you know, Big Little Lies, Handmaid's Tale, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, all shows. You watching that Marvelous Mrs. Maisel? I yeah, I watched the whole thing already, and I love it. Really, love it. I've heard some uh, questionable things about it, oh, but God, I, no, I've like heard what? some good things, about, good things about it. So what questionable I'm give things? It, uh, that it's terrible. <laughs> um. Okay, so not like it, not like oh, it's problematic because it's like wow. Okay, don't, <laughs> don't do that. That's well, not how change happens. <laughs> um, no, I haven't heard anything about it being particularly problematic. But now I'm going to look for it. Thanks. <laughs> I'm going to come back here. No, no, I love it. Um, yeah, it was actually my airplane movie to and from Australia, or airplane show rather. And uh, so I, yeah, I'm a big fan of it. So that was all great. And uh, we had Natalie Portman with her punk rock mm. thing of calling out the all male directing field. My, my, like this, the secret 
favorite part of that um, is how Ron Howard just like laughed. Yeah, he wasn't like, like oh, I'm so, I feel so awkward. Or yeah. what do I do? He's panic like, face. Uh-huh. I mean, I have the GIF up on my Instagram. We can watch it right now. <laughs> I need to hear the sound. Uh, but uh, but no, I mean, I felt like that was him being late because you know she, you know what else would he do in that moment? We just kind of have to like laugh because uh, I mean she was pointing out the irony since Absolutely. they since they tacked that on. I feel like they made a decision due to the show running long to just shove that on to the end of the Oprah segment, which they shouldn't have done. Mm-hmm. Um, and so after that, after you know, I guess they couldn't have foreseen just how momentous Oprah's speech would be. Um, and then to just tack that onto the end of it. And then Hallie had to be like, yeah, cool. After all that awesome, you know, female affirming amazingness, here are the all male nominees. It's such a badass moment. And then each of the directors had to like grimace at the camera. Right. Well, at least Guillermo del Toro won. Yes. Which I feel like that of all the options, that's like the most, you know, again, when you look at the, the scale. The least like, American. <laughs> Except exactly. for Martin McDonough. He's like the, the easiest or the hardest to be upset with, right? He's like <laughs> yeah. lovable. He has no scandals. He has features women in, in his movies in prominent sure, roles. Sure, sure, He's sure. not from America. And then he like, then he like t- was like, give me my time. I've waited 25 years. <laughs> yeah. And meanwhile, uh, Greta Gerwig was like shoved off stage after 30 seconds after Lady Bird won. That was, that was crazy. Yeah. It really got, uh, that was shocking. It did. Shocking. So, Oprah. oh, but another moment. Oh, well, really quickly about yeah. timing and directors. Um, yeah. It was really nice that the director from In the Fade, which we're reviewing this week, uh, brought up Diane Kruger um, uh-huh. and, yeah. and had that moment of like, this is your movie. This was mm-hmm. yours. She, I don't think she knew what to do necessarily. No, she was but, very overwhelmed. Um, that was cool. It was cool. You know what else was cool? Oprah. That was cool, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Even though it has promptly been ruined by the internet. As like all, everything. As all things must. Mm-hmm. Cartoon frogs. <laughs> Wendy's. Their Twitter account is getting out of control. I mean, I for one, and granted, I was, I had been drinking. But I for one, <laughs> in the room full of homosexual men that I was watching with, we all were hoping it was leading to an announcement of a run for office. Hmm. Uh, it seemed like deserved it felt like after that kind of powerful speech it was like please let this be building to that announcement please so in that moment we were all about it and uh and i uh and now and then you know and then the next morning i wake up and right away there's someone being like well i'm never gonna vote for oprah for president i'm like oh this is gonna be a thing and uh and then sure enough it has been the first truly migraine splitting you know entertainment facebook c- conundrum of a uh, of, of 2018 I mean, it's the overlap of all of the worst twitters film twitter and politics twitter mm-hmm. just get nba twitter in there and it's a hot mess i think she'd be a fine president oh uh, we're gonna have this talk i am not opposed i'm not saying that she should just get it right now <laughs> But I do think that she'd be a fine president and I would be happy to vote for her. I mean, call me old fashioned. <laughs> I was just thinking about all the things that I could say to follow that up with. But like, if I like my president's male and white. No. <laughs> I like my president's like I like my coffee. <laughs> no. Call me old fashioned. Weak and better. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, nice if a, a president has some political experience. 
well, even Ronald Reagan was a governor. Well, but see, that's the thing. I feel like she was basically co-president with the Obamas for eight years. You think? Oh, yeah. Hmm. I mean, she was so much of part of the fabric of their, of their entire political lives. Uh, you know, she helped put them on the map. So, yes, hmm. I would say that she has had enough world experience. Here's to... what here's what, here's uh, compromise. What if she is vice president to Michelle, who was a lawyer? <sighs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'd be fine with that, too. Okay. I'm not saying that Oprah should, you know, take out uh, Michelle or, you know, or, or Kamala Harris or mm-hmm. anyone like that. How about uh, a Joe Biden? Jopra. Oh. Okay, here. Can you see him there? <laughs> Jopra. I, I, I do like that. That does roll off the tongue. Mm-hmm. I do like that. It's a nice ring. I'm officially, uh, I'm officially a, a Jopra, a Jopra bro. <laughs> a Jopra bro-pra. <laughs> if you will. I'm not sure I will, but oh you might. God. You know what's terrifying? There's going to be another election. <laughs> it's really scary. Like, I can't wait for us to get rid of Trump, but at the same time, is it worth having to go through another election? <laughs> Why do we have these things every four years? Let's push that button already. It's not enough time to recover. No, I'm so scared. <laughs> really not well, I'm not ready for Bernie bros or... I know. I'm like, oh, good. I'm like, I'm so glad that I get to like already start to relive my very recent PTSD of the fucking Democratic primary oh my God. with a bunch of like Bernie people being like, Oprah's rich. She shouldn't be president. I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ. Uh, so anyway, um, I like how I like brought up like, oh, it already ruined the year. Let's talk about it. <laughs> Let's infect our podcast with this delightful conversation. Um, so yeah, all in all, I would say it's a fine globes and, uh, it seems like three billboards is officially the front runner for best picture. Uh, so, question for you. Uh, there was yeah. a part that I kind of missed. I think my, my recordings <laughs> didn't overlap correctly. Tell me a little bit about Alice and Jenny's speech. Uh, she talked about Tanya. She shouted out the real Tanya who was there, looking beautiful in bangs. I am still resolutely team Metcalf in that category. Sure, absolutely. Uh, but, you know, like I've said all along, Alison Janney does deserve to have an Oscar. If it's for this, great. Um, and I do think that she now has it kind of in the bag because it is just a showier role. I'm on a movie with Laurie Metcalf, Alison Janney, um, Holly Hunter, mm-hmm. and uh, Frances McDormand. Ooh, what would they play? I'm thinking some sort of like... Would it be like a, an Ocean's 8 sequel? Yeah, Ocean's 4. Mm. They killed the other four. <laughs> um, no, or maybe like a Dukes of Hazard with a four-door car. Mm, mm-hmm. um, what else could it be? Let's see. Uh, shot for shot remake of Platoon with an all-female Ooh. cast. <laughs> That's a good one. Okay. Uh, or L.A. Confidential. Ooh. 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 That's a nice one. <laughs> I could do. I could see a Western. Oh, yeah. yeah. Unforgiven. Yes. Or they could just remake um, the 1994 female Western classic, Bad Girls. There you go. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. How about, how about uh, Seven Samurai? Ooh. But it's four because the other three guys didn't do anything. Mm-hmm. Four women can do the job of Seven Samurai. And it's the four Samurai. Mm. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Sam, are you? For Sam or hi. <laughs> oh, God. Would you, how do you think Seth Meyers did? I thought he did great. I thought he was wonderful. I thought he was very funny, even though he vanished after his monologue because the show started running along right away because of Nicole Kidman's 15-minute-long rambling speech. I missed that part, too. What oh, was my gosh. That she, she was the first award of the night. She won supporting actress, uh, or no, lead actress in a TV movie or miniseries for Big Little Lies. And she just wanted to clear out any thought that was just rattling around in her brain. And so she just stood there with that glorious movie star entitlement of a movie star at like a TV award show. And she just talked. 
Oh, wow. Um, it was it was glorious but maddening. You could just see the producers in the booth, like, redlining, like, like <laughs> banter after banter after banter after banter. Like, oh, we just lost this. Oh, we just lost this. And we lost this, too. And that's why for most of the show after that, what you would have is these, like, huge stars and interesting mixes introduced to <laughs> give their awards away. And they would just be like, and the nominees are. <laughs> it was Nicole Kidman's fault. I didn't uh, know that. Um, yeah, I thought Seth Meyers, uh, it seemed uh, embarrassing to have to say this, but he didn't make any jokes that were off color mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. whole time. Yeah, he was. There's he, always like one. Right, that you're like, mm. man, Billy Crystal, your age is showing. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, like Seth Meyers is, it seems like he's the real deal. I mean, like he was the mass, you know, he was the one who wrote the all like the 2008 campaign material on SNL. Mm-hmm. You know, he was the one who wrote all the Palin stuff. Yeah, that's true. Uh, you know, and uh, the Amy Schu- the Amy Poehler bit was hilarious. Oh, that was amazing. Oh. The setup, oh, that was so good. <laughs> that was great. And, uh, and you know, and also I enjoyed watching Barbara Streisand be so overjoyed to announce three billboards as the winner of Best yes. Drama. And I can now say that I've seen the exact opposite of her face when she had to announce Eminem as the winner of the Oscar for Best Original Song <laughs> for Lose Yourself, where her face just kind of like folded on itself and she went and the Oscar goes too. M&M. <laughs> so I've now seen both sides of Barbara presenting awards, and I feel, you know, the richer for it. Um, let's get started uh, with this week's movies. We're going to start with movie number one, Phantom Thread, which is our pick of the week. Pick of the week. Pick of the week. Pick, pick, pick is the pick, pick of the week. In 1950s post-war London, renowned dressmaker Reynolds Woodcock and his sister Cyril are at the center of British fashion. Dressing royalty, movie stars, and socialites with the distinct style of the House of Woodcock. Some come and go through Woodcock's life, providing the confirmed bachelor with inspiration and companionship until he comes across a young, strong-willed woman, Alma, who soon becomes a fixture in his life as his muse and lover. Once controlled and planned, he finds his carefully tailored life disrupted by love. You can sew almost anything into the canvas of a coat. When I was a boy, I started to hide things in the linings of the garments. Things that only I knew were there. Secrets. Good morning. Will you have dinner with me? Yes. I feel as if I've been looking for you for a very long time. You look beautiful. Very beautiful. I have things I want to do. Things I simply cannot do without you. Reynolds has made my dreams come true. And I have given him what he desires most in return. (laughs) Every piece of me. And this is a movie that did not win anything at at the Golden Globes, right? It did it. not. Oh, <laughs> or or did it win? No, yeah. I was thinking maybe it won score, but no, it did not win anything. Uh, the expectation, though, was that it would... Uh, was it an Academy Award contender? Uh, not really. No. Okay. Um, I think that people expect... Two for two? I think that <laughs> you're doing great. I think people expect that Daniel Day-Lewis could get a nomination for it. And that it could, you know, get some, you know, below the line nominations for costume design, maybe art direction, original score. Um, but no, this is not thought to be any sort of like, um, you know, three billboards, Lady Bird, get out level contender. Mm-hmm. It's not. Um, 
Why? <laughs> well, um, in a nutshell, it is uh, just kind of too weird mm. and too specific uh, to really be that kind of awards contender. Really? I mean, because uh, at first pass, I thought this was the Danish girl. I know you're just holding out hope that something will lead to Tracy Morgan going on the really? Oscars. I really would love that. I'm a phantom thread. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, no. Uh, it is not like that. It's a very, yeah, it's a very remote, uh, but very masterful little movie. And it's sort of like, I don't know, Paul Thomas Anderson... Unless it feels like his movies in general have been, um, you know, they've gotten sort of increasingly bizarre mm, mm-hmm. uh, ever since uh, There Will Be Blood. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, his career has been so unique because, you know, he did, you know, so he had Heart Eight, which I guess was a movie that was taken away from him in the editing room. And so he doesn't really care much for it. Then he had these back-to-back sprawling, you know, valley operas of Boogie Nights and Magnolia, mm-hmm. which were both so similar. And then he had Punch Drunk Love, which was sort of like the beginning of this kind of more weird Kubrickian thing. Mm-hmm. And then that became fully realized, and there will be blood. And then The Master. Then Inherent Vice, which was just a shrug all around. What the hell that I, that was? I still don't know. It was wonderful. Did you love Inherent Vice? I loved Vice? Inherent Vice. Really? Yeah. Talk about that. Oh, okay. Oh, well, because of Joanna Newsom. I mean, not just because. I mean, maybe that was a vehicle for me to appreciate it more. Um, but I thought it was a fun, wild ride. I don't know. I have not read the book, so let me put that out there. Sure. Um, judge me as you will. I know. I mean, I'm I haven't read that fucking the, book. Are you kidding me? The library of Jason Leroy behind me. Uh, just tome after tome, volumes of the written word. She's making fun of me. Uh, he has no books. <laughs> <laughs> just not in this room. Some of Akeem Phoenix's traits of looking confused and, and hungover the whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was beautiful. Uh, it's also kind of a, a L.A. love story. Yeah. Um, and it just it, it just goes, I mean, I guess it's just the story, but it just goes down a path that you don't expect it to. Um, it and does. I thought it was fun. A number of them. Y- yes. <laughs> uh, it was my least favorite movie of his overall. Hmm. Um, but uh, And so I think that <clears throat> with this movie, uh, with Phantom Thread, I was very receptive to it because it, it very much feels like a, re- a return to the more chilly, formal, uh, buttoned up uh, sort of intensity of There Will Be Blood and The Master. Um, did you know, uh, did you know the music videos he's directed? Yeah, so he's done Heim, he's done a lot of Fiona Apple. He's done Save Me by Amy Mann. Well, sure, for Magnolia. Oh, right. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. That doesn't count. (laughs) You did a bunch of Joannism. Uh Uh-huh. Yes. Go ahead. Uh, So, yeah. I mean, this is, this is for me, it it seemed like a return to form. Uh, Be curious to know what you think when you get a chance to see it. But, uh, but it was, you know, this is, this is, it's hard to explain why it's not an awards movie. I think you just watch a movie and you can either tell if it will or won't be. Mm. I think part Mm -hmm. of it also had to do with how late in the year it came out. I mean, there's um, always the post, which there you felt always. could be or wanted to be, and it came out at the end of the year. And it was uh, the opposite, right? It was palpable how much it try, was trying to be. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And I think you know, I think that Paul Thomas Anderson is, you know, he just he he is one of my favorite filmmakers. Period. And he just follows his own interests. You know, he follows his own obsessions. Um, and in his the craft with which he kind of realizes those visions and those ideas once they become movies, 
is kind of unparalleled, I feel like. Uh, and uh, so in this, and the sad, thing, the sad thing is, he has said in a recent interview that for him, his movies are not weird or inaccessible or obscure at all. Hmm. He thinks they're like very mainstream and entertaining. He's like, maybe I'm crazy. And it's like, yeah, maybe you are. <laughs> Uh, because this is a very weird uh, little kind of um, sick romance. This movie, Phantom Thread. Uh, so uh, it's it's a go- it's a gothic romance. It's a gothic romance with a lot of uh, Hitchcock flavor to it. Tell me what you mean by gothic romance. Well, it's a term he used for it. So the screening I saw it at, he was there and he was uh, interviewed after the movie by the most spectacularly inept, awkward interviewer I've ever seen. It was a video of myself and <laughs> um and he uh labeled it as such like a gothic romance and then he uh so not gothic like goth but right like, right right you know like it is sort of the hallmarks of the genre of there being the sort of like a darkness to the love story mm. and there being this sort of um just undercurrent of of, of violence or or of deep-seated repressed feelings uh and he drew a lot of influence from movies like rebecca Mm-hmm. And uh, his sister, Cyril, played by the great Leslie Manville, um, is very much a Mrs. Danvers character. Oh, really? Yes. Right down to the way she's styled. Um, she's always just sort of Uptight. like... Uptight? Yes, all the way. And is always just sort of looming and watching with these huge eyes, um, you know, carrying presumably the secrets of the family. Mm. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so we have here the story of a, of a clothing designer the uh, Reynolds Woodcock, which is a name that Daniel Day-Lewis came up with via text message. <laughs> him and Paul Thomas Anderson were texting about the characters should be named and just coming up with more and more ludicrous sounding English names until they have r- arrived at Reynolds Woodcock. <laughs> and uh, this is a character loosely modeled after uh, the designer ben- uh, Balenciaga. And, uh, and so, yeah, he's just this very controlled, controlling guy who is, you know, a great artist makes these the fashions in this movie are off the chain oh my god and uh and then it's you know he just eventually goes on a vacation after because whenever he's done completing a collection or even a look he just like has a complete like nervous breakdown and uh needs to be looked after like a baby and then he goes on a little vacation to the country while having one such vacation he meets a woman named alma played by a, a new actress named vicky creeps uh, don't you laugh at her name? Uh, hmm. bold. That's bold. That's a bold choice. I always like it when when a when a name is also a sentence. <laughs> uh, but it's spe- it's spelled K R I E P S. She is from Luxembourg. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> a sentence. <laughs> Go on. And uh, and uh, yeah, they just sort of have a meet cute uh, in the diner uh, where she works, and he is taken with her right away. And so he sort of, you know, takes her measurements that day and starts turning her into his muse and his model. But um, generally, he has a history of, like, sort of rotating through these women with a pretty high turnover rate. But Alma proves to be far more of a match for him and for his sister, Cyril, than anyone they've ever encountered before. And so it becomes this sort of uh, battle of wills. Uh, between uh, Reynolds and Alma uh, as Cyril sort of watches from the sideline. And uh, the whole movie, it's very, like, you know, describing it, there's not even a lot to say. Uh, But there is such, I don't know, it's so luxurious. It's so opulent. It's so 
beautifully realized. Uh, you know, P.T. Anderson also does his own cinematography under a different mm. name. Really? Yeah. I did not know that. And it is every shot, every frame. Uh, it just has that kind of, you know, I know I keep saying like masterful mastery, but there's like when you when you witness a kind of mastery that P.T. Anderson has when he's on top of his game, like in this movie, there's just no one else who can touch it. And uh, and so the movie is a lot of things like it's kind of slyly funny. It is, uh, you know, dark and troubling. Uh, it is satirical. Uh, it is, uh, you know, it is, it is just, it's just, it's, it's mysterious. The whole thing feels kind of cloaked in this mystery of all things that are being, that are being left unsaid. And, um, and, you know, it builds up to sort of a hell of a punchline and it's just, yeah, it's just great. Everyone's fantastic. This is supposedly Dion Day-Lewis's final performance. What does that mean? He says he's retiring after this. Uh, and, uh, and he is, I was stunned to learn today. He is 60. Really? Yes, he does not look 60. No, he still looks so badass. He looked great at the uh, Golden Globes. Yes, he's still a very handsome man. Uh, and uh, and yeah, he's he's just, he's, of course, unbelievably good. This would be, if this were his last performance, it'd be a fitting one. Uh, and Vicky Creeps, the aforementioned V Creeps, and uh, Leslie Manville. Everyone's great. Johnny Greenwood's score, Johnny Greenwood of Radiohead. He's done the last mm. few P.T. Anderson mm-hmm. scores. And this one is so sumptuous and so enveloping. Uh, just every piece of it, I was so smitten with. Uh, what part does Joanna Newsom play? Um, I'm trying to think of something to say that would make you want to watch the movie. Um, she is. Uh, she's always just in the next room, <laughs> se- seated at a harp, ready to go. Okay. Well. Yeah. Then I guess uh, I'll, I'll. I'm okay with the picture. Contributes of the week. to the energy of it. So I assume you're giving it a binge it. It is a binge it, and I was I was trying to decide whether this would have broken into my top ten or not, uh, and I'm I'm unsure, uh, but it, it definitely would be one for consideration for me. Um, Phantom Thread is rated R for language. Our second movie of the week is The Commuter. Insurance salesman Michael is on his daily commute home, which quickly becomes anything but routine. After being contacted by a mysterious stranger. Michael is forced to uncover the identity of a hidden passenger on the train before the last stop. As he works against the clock to solve the puzzle, he realizes a deadly plan is unfolding, and he is unwittingly caught up in a criminal conspiracy that carries life and death stakes for everyone on the train. What if I asked you to do one little thing? Someone on this train does not belong. All you have to do is find them. Why would I do it? There's a hundred thousand dollars. You have until next stop to decide. What kind of person are you? I am not going to do this. So in this sequel to Girl on a Train. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm embarrassed now. <laughs> um, action flick. What would you do? The game, the box. Yes, it's another what would you do. What would you do, Jason? Well, here's the deal. Yeah. Set up the story and then tell me what you would do. Hmm. Okay. Okay. So as you mentioned in the summary, what we have here is we have Liam Neeson back in action playing a man who um, he's an ex-cop <laughs> and um, <laughs> but he got out of the copping game to become an insurance salesman so he can have more money uh, for his family to raise his uh, his son and, and you know help with his his and his wife's lifestyle. Uh, however, on the day this movie takes place, 
He goes into his office like any other day, and then he gets abruptly fired. Even though as he protests, oh, come on, I'm five years from retiring. <laughs> uh, they don't care, and they fire him anyway. And uh, just then, his wife is calling him and saying like, oh, honey, make sure to drop by the bank because they need all that money for our son's college tuition. And he's like, no. Gah. And so uh, so he's he's in a tough spot. Um, he's needing money. And uh, and then he's just boarding his commuter train home after getting a drink with some old cop friends. So all three of those things happen on the same day? Uh, yeah, everything I've just described is on the same day. Okay. And uh, so he stops and gets drinks with a former with his his former partner when he was a cop, who's played by Patrick Wilson. Um, and then he's like, "All right, well, I gotta go home." And uh, and so he hops on the train, and as he's walking to the train, um, a pickpocket takes his cell phone. So he loses his phone. See, which is why he can't do anything about what happens. So he's on the train, and uh, I'm we, already frustrated. And we have set up. We have set up already that like there's a whole sort of um, you know community of people on this train. The same commuters see each other every single day. They have relationships with each other, um, and I know this to be a real thing um, that happens because my mom does this with the ladies on her train that oh. that she uh, takes in and out of Pittsburgh every day. Um, and likely, Lisa and my mother is also just a few years from retirement, uh, so I feel like she might feel very seen by this movie. <laughs> um, so. So he has all these friends in the train and they all know each other from seeing each other all the time. And the whole movie has a lot of the movie has a lot of sort of um weirdly pandering uh commentary about like economic anxiety in America and like fuck Wall Street and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um you know there's like there there's a like there the asshole on the train is a guy who's like an ex Goldman Sachs guy who is like really mean to everyone and Liam Neeson's like there's literally a scene where Liam Neeson <laughs> gets in his face and goes, "Hey, got a message for you from the American middle class. Fuck you. Really? Yeah. Like that would ever happen. Which is hilarious between like an Irish leading man and a movie directed by um, a Spanish gentleman named Homie Coye Serra. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, but they speak for the American middle class. And, uh, and American, I'm sure the American middle class would be like, yeah, yeah, definitely fuck Goldman Sachs. Um, except for we voted against our own best interests and vote for a president that supports those guys. But anyway... Uh, so yeah, so he would never happen. They were way more likely to harass like a woman or a gay person than they would be an actual like (laughs) white dude that worked at Goldman Sachs. That's fair. This guy is very tan. Um, but that aside, so uh, yeah, so Liam Neeson just like you know was just on the train and he sits down feeling like you know, man, what am I gonna do? And uh, and then who should saunter over and pop down across from him? But Vera Farmiga. Oh, she just got off a plane. She just got off a plane, and now she is here on a train, and she's across. You know what her next movie is going to be? Automobile. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, until she gets there, for now, she's on this train with Liam Neeson, mm-hmm. and um, and she's being ve- you know very Vera Farmiga, very sort of like, uh, you know, sort of like sultry, but very kind of like can't quite get a read on what her what she's up to. Upper management. Upper management. And um, and she's like, hi, I'm a behavioral therapist. Uh, you know, I'm an expert in behavior. And let's figure out what kind of person you are. And um, and he thinks that she's flirting with him. But then she starts to lay out this scenario that gradually becomes clear that she's being serious. You know, she's like, there's $25,000 on this train in the bathroom in this car. 
there are $75,000 more that you can have if you do one thing. But will you do that thing even though you won't know what the consequence is? And, uh, and he's like, you know, he's like, well, why would I do that? And uh, she's like, well, it's $100,000. She's like, here it is. There's someone on this train who doesn't belong. They are going to the Cold Spring stop. They have a bag. That's it. And uh, he's like, well, he's like, what am I supposed to do with that? And, you know, she's like, well, I think that you're exactly the right person to help with us with this. And, um, and then she's like, okay, gotta go. And then she just skedaddles off the train. And, uh, and so he's like, and she's like, you know, you have, you know, a limited time to decide. Like until that stop? Um, so, uh, so he said, oh, I think she says he has in the trailer to the next stop. Oh yeah. To the next stop. And, um, and so he's sitting there like, oh no. Uh, Suppression is not one of my favorites. I'm going to go ahead and put that out there. <laughs> Let me just say I'm that really now. doubling down on it too. I know you are, but this is a little, a little, uh, a little wink and a nod to the listeners at home. <laughs> me neither, guys. <laughs> I have to look at him with a straight face. I'm going to keep doing it. Um, and so, uh, so he goes in the bathroom. I was going to gradually turn into like um, Lucky Charms at a leprechaun by the end of it. So he goes <laughs> in the bathroom and he's like, "Look, here's twenty five thousand dollars. Oh my goodness." Um, apologies to defits. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so he goes in the bathroom and there's the money sitting there and now it's a done deal. He went in there, he looked for the money, he found it and now he has to do it. And then like some kid comes on the train, the next stop and is like, you're doing it. And, uh, and he's like, Whoa. And, uh, and then he's off, he goes. And so, uh, he's, he's walking up and down the aisle of the train, um, trying to figure out who this person could be. And, and the, you know, they're like, you know, oh, well, you already know all the regulars, so it should be easy for you. So he sort of like starts to figure out who's on the train who he doesn't recognize. And anyone he doesn't recognize is a potential suspect. He has... Oh, so it's like a xenophobia, but small scale. <laughs> kind of. Um, Great. But, but he doesn't really know. Um, it's not like all those people he doesn't recognize or sure. people of color or anything. Sure. Um, but yeah, so it's basically like, okay, so who on this train doesn't belong? And you don't know why, but your job is to find out this one person. And because you're a cop, uh, you have the skills that you need to do this, a certain set of skills. And, um, and so we just watched Liam Neeson walk up and down this train at length, um, as things gradually escalate and he comes to believe that they have kidnapped his wife and his son. Uh, and then he watches as they kill someone who he told about it right when he leaves the train. And so he's basically trapped and he has X number of stops until cold spring, real pressure boiler situation we got going on here. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, there's a number of scuffles along the way and Liam Neeson gets increasingly battered, but continues to just stomp his way up and down this train while people are kind of looking at him like, is everything okay? And, um, to answer your question, what would I do? Oh, I I think I know the answer. Okay. May I try to guess? Please. I think as as soon as she sat down and tried to talk to you, Uh you'd have your earbuds in and you would like politely quickly nod and smile not to be too rude but you would never take your headphones off and actually engage you maybe you do you like do one you kind of lean it like you're very over like what what i'm sorry oh, oh, oh no i'm, I'm okay thank I, you. I, I, I already have and you put your headphones back in and completely disengage i'm listening to something for work i have to i'm sorry to, i have yeah. to listen to this i'm sorry um no i was thinking you know because she gets him before 
you know, he has any earbuds in. <laughs> so it'd be mm. one thing if you already had them in. I don't know that I would ever actually put them on to be like, oh, sorry, can't talk to you right now because I just now realized I have these headbuds, so I'm going to put them in. But you hate talking to crazy people. Well, yeah, but she's not crazy. That's the thing. She but doesn't pre- that sound... I she, think her she presents herself as like a very put together, very glamorous, very polished woman. Behavioral therapist. Right. And um, and she's like, oh, I'm a conversationalist. It's a, you know, hazard of the trade. And... Um, and, uh, so, but if she had gotten through to Mm -hmm, me, mm -hmm. to the offer, and I was thinking this while I was watching the movie, I would have just said, I want no part of this because I've seen enough movies where I know what it is. (laughs) Uh, so, but Liam Neeson's character hasn't seen any movies and, uh, let alone any of his own. his own movies. (laughs) Yeah. Of which this is the fourth that he has done with Home uh, Koye Sera after Unknown, where Liam Neeson was trapped in Berlin. Uh, with uh, with his uh, memory supposedly wiped and another man carrying on with his wife under his name. That one also starred Diane Kruger and uh, was set in Germany. So that's something in common with In the Fade. Little segue. Uh, this also has something in common with Phantom Thread in the sense that it's very, uh, there's a lot of Hitchcockian kind of stuff going on here. Strangers on, on the, the train, train and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there was Unknown. There was... Um, one I didn't see. I want to say it's called Running Tall, maybe. Uh, and then there was Nonstop, the movie that this most closely resembles, where Liam Neeson is an alcoholic air marshal on a flight uh, where he somehow starts getting texts from somebody who says that, you know, I'm going to kill somebody every 20 minutes on this oh, plane. Right. And um, and then it starts happening. And so it's very similar to that in the sense that both of these movies involve Liam Neeson in enclosed spaces while traveling just furiously stomping up and down aisles and like skeeving people out. So it has a lot in common with nonstop. It's not quite uh, as clever as that one, but it's still like this. It's, it's, it's a satisfying thrill ride. Home Koye Sera is one of the greatest genre B movie directors, period. Um, before this, he, he recently did the shallows, uh, the Blake lively shark movie, <laughs> He uh, mm-hmm. he also did the infamous Orphan. Oh right, there's something uh, wrong with Esther. <laughs> oh sure, that you remember. <laughs> um, I didn't remember the Blake Lively Shark movie. I'm oh, sorry. That's a great one. Uh, so yeah, he genuinely is just a master of the trade of B genre movies, and uh, and this is not his best, but it's still like it's it's a damn fun movie to watch. Uh, probably the biggest issue it has other than being far-fetched, which I don't think of as an issue because all of these movies are far-fetched. I don't expect believability from these. Uh, yeah, you have to suspend some, right? Yeah, like I'm I'm happy to suspend my disbelief. Uh, you know, like the whole, they're all ridiculous and that's part of their charm is it that just they're feels so ridiculous. Like some of the setup that maybe it's the way you're describing it that makes it sound like so obvious that it's unbearable. But, you know, I feel like a simple thing like he lost his job a while ago. Mm-hmm. Like, not that it all happens in one day. That seems like kind of... Well, that's not the kind of movie he makes. Like, fair enough. Okay. Uh, that's and, for somebody uh, else. And it is it is for someone else. And he is... Uh, you know, and it's a movie that is is surprising. I didn't know where it was going. Um, I, you know, in the movie, kind of... The, the one thing I was going to say that it works against it is that it kind of waits until the very, very end to tell you all the things... You know, whereas maybe in another movie, they would have told you during the second act, okay, here is the person that uh, that they're trying to kill. And here are the reasons why mm. they're trying to kill them. Well, that's here not are, his here movie. Here are the people trying to kill them. 
And instead, they kind of wait until the very end to just reveal all that stuff in like the very last stretch. And it might have been more uh, impactful had you found out all those things a bit earlier. Mm. Um, but aside from that, yeah, like it's like it, it, it delivers the goods. And, uh, you know, it has a great cast. You know, Liam Neeson knows how to play this role incredibly well. He's done it a number of times now. Uh, Vera Farmiga is one of the greats. Patrick Wilson's great. Sam Neill's in it. And, Sounds like uh, a real popcorn chomper. It really is. It's a, it's a, you know, it's an airplane movie uh, for anyone who didn't want to attempt fate by watching nonstop on an airplane. But it's definitely not a train movie. Not a train movie. I do not recommend watching it on a train. And what are you giving it? I'm giving it consume in moderation. Excellent. The commuter is rated PG-13 for some intense action, violence, and language. Movie number three this week is In the Fade. Katya's life falls apart in the blink of an eye when two neo-Nazis kill her husband and six-year-old son in a bomb attack. Her quest for justice soon pushes her to the edge as the two suspects stand trial for murder. This is the movie we were talking about earlier. It won a Golden Globe for Best Foreign Language Film, um, starring um, Diane Kruger in her first German yeah, film. Despite being a German, German. woman. Yeah. yeah. Despite being a Fraulein. Mm-hmm. This is her first time at bat doing a German language uh, role. Uh, even though in *Inglorious Bastards*, there was, mm. there was a bit of a bit of German there. But she was the German actress. Yeah, she, she was playing like a Marlena Dietrich type, mm-hmm. so incredibly, really fantastic. But nothing that she's ever done has prepared anyone to see what she does in this movie. What I'm not a, even prepared to talk about it, frankly. Oh, what a performance! The character that she's playing is uh, she's playing this woman who um, is her life is turned upside down. Um, it's, it sounds like such a silly way of saying something so right, so, so important and so terrible. Um, as mentioned, as a was you mentioned in the description, her husband and her son are killed in a um, a hate uh, a hate attack uh, in uh, Hamburg, mm-hmm. and she is left by herself um, to grieve and with lots of annoying parents, annoying parents. Um, and then has to has to be there uh, because she's a witness to uh, one of the, the one of the suspects um, who set off this bomb that killed her family. So she has to be present for the trial. Meanwhile, battling her own demons, um, and also and then, the fact that her husband was Turkish and a former drug dealer means that the local law enforcement are maybe not being as respectful and are really latched onto that. As surely there's a motive that had to do with this. Um, and sort of diminishing him in his in his memory, and sort of putting her on the on on edge, and forcing her to defend him, and explain that no, he was not still, uh, you know, actively selling drugs, and so yeah, there's a few different issues that uh, that intersect there. Yeah, I think I think the hardest part I'm having with not, with talking about this movie is that I so badly want to compare it to one of the other movies that was nominated for um, uh, the Golden Globe for foreign language film, which mm. is uh, Fantastic Woman. Right. Both of these movies deal with um, people who are, who are dealing closely with uh, loss and mm-hmm. death in their immediate Grief. partner, um, but don't have any time to actually grieve. Have no sympathy from people because they're they're instantly put on the uh, defense because they're blamed for what's happening. Right. Diane Kruger, as you mentioned, uh, because her husband's Turkish and had a history uh, um, selling drugs, he's he's seen as the as the reason for his own murder. Like there's not it's not even there's like a moment where he's the victim and she's the victim, and then suddenly mm-hmm. it goes into like he's part of the process, you know, being part of the reason. Um, she she has uh, an old drug habit that comes up at her time of confusion. Um, that also plays a part in, in how the police navigate her and uh, treat her. 
Um, she has one sister and one close friend who is uh, their lawyer uh, mm-hmm. that she's able that are there for her. Um, but uh, when the her performance when she finds out, it just I mean, in the way that this movie handles like communication between people, like some sort of uh, unsophisticated and painful way she's given news mm. um which is kind of how life goes because not everyone has like a, a speech written by a, a script writer mm. um when they're being told that like your family doesn't they i think there's one point where they they uh, she's told she wants to see their bodies and um the police officer says they're no longer people mm. that mm-hmm. was just so hard to watch yeah um this movie is this movie is no joke no no, and it's yeah, not not easy to watch uh, at all. And um, and as I was watching it, I was hoping that it would sort of follow uh, its the procedural kind of structure mm-hmm. that it had. Um, but you know, because it does feel very much like that kind of you know like a Law and Order type thing, uh, told more from the victim's perspective. Uh, so we're following up. You know, we're following you know through. We have we open with this horrible incident. And then we're witnessing the aftermath. We're watching the investigation, and we're watching the trial of these two accused uh, hate killers, and um, and we're thinking, okay, well, it'll just resolve itself the way procedural does, but it doesn't. Um, it becomes something much more kind of complex, uh, something that uh, you know, honestly, is not. It's when it becomes not just a procedural that I it lo- it lost me a little bit as a mm. movie. Uh, because I think it becomes sort of a different movie in its final act than it is for its first two. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's broken into three parts as well. It's mm-hmm. uh, family, part two is justice, and part three is the sea. Yes. And, um, and so I think that the movie overall, to me, is not as good as her performance. Mm. Uh, mm. I felt like, you know, it, it sort of hits a lot of fairly obvious um, marks along the road uh, of, a, of a procedural. Um, and then in the final act, it becomes what, you know, uh, another tie into an earlier film, what a lot of people are describing as sort of a Liam Neeson movie, mm-hmm. uh, where we have this person who's sort of like out for revenge. And uh, and in the way that it finally does conclude, I, I just can't have any, I have no peace with. Mm. Uh, I, I can't, you know, it just, it just feels like, a, yeah, it's just tough to get behind. And I think that it asks a lot of questions around like, well, how do we respond to far right hate violence? Which is surging all over the world. Yes. This uh, movie is very um, topical, very topical, Sadly. especially in um, in Eastern Europe, mm. uh, both a combination of, you know, far right um, ideology and, um, you know, an influx of immigrants uh, is just it's creating a, a storm. Yeah. And it's funny because, you know, you asked, like, what would you do for the commuter? Mm. Um, but when I saw this at TIFF and, and um, the director, um, uh, Fatih Akin, Akin and Diane Kruger were there uh, and the director was talking about like for him, this was just kind of like a what would you do type story? Hmm. Uh, like how, how, mm-hmm. how does one woman react to this? And, um, you know, and I guess I just don't feel like they did super a lot with that as like a just from a, a theoretical standpoint, uh, you know, and like the, and it's still, you know, in this final Liam Neeson act of the movie. It, it is certainly very tense and very thrilling, but just, you know, the actual conclusion of the movie, I feel, was just kind of like a, Meh, okay. Hmm. So it was one of those, it's one of those things where, for me, the ending kind of undid a lot of the movie. But um, 
but none of that for me takes even a bit away from Diane Kruger's performance as Katya. I think the the last the last act is um is more of a stretch than the rest of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that they've given her character uh, enough of an edge that it's not completely out of the realm of possibility. Mm-hmm. It's not like she's suburban housewife or, you know, you know, uh, librarian, I right. don't know, mild-mannered person. Mm-hmm. Um kind of you know goes on this revenge tour um she's kind of a badass and she's uh pretty tough and um you know her husband has is a reformed drug dealer and a businessman but you know she talks about how you know if this would have happened to her and her son Mm -hmm. he would have like fucked things up um so i think there's there's a bit of like a roughness about them Mm -hmm. um that makes this a little bit more believable than it would have would have been if it wasn't that wasn't baked into the character yeah, I think that's true. I mean, we we see she quite literally married him as he walked out of jail. Yeah, uh, no, I think he was still in jail, right? Or uh, something well, like they, that. Yeah. yeah. Either way. Uh, but I think that, <clears throat> and I'm probably being too American about it in terms of being like, well, what's the you know, if this is a movie about this world we live in, um, you know, what is the takeaway uh, in terms of like how we should handle it? And I think that you know, European filmmakers don't think like that. They don't think in terms of like should. Here's the should in my movie. Here's the teachable moment. Uh, because, uh, you know, because the movie seems like it's moving toward a more sort of like ambiguous, uh, finale, but then it ultimately does not. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a tricky one for me. It's a tricky one. I was thinking about when you were talking about the movie Stronger with Jake Gyllenhaal, um, Mm -hmm. and how that movie really showed people who you hear about in the news and then they get thrown into a life that they're not, uh, ready for expecting and never asked for. In his case, you know, hero what you would think is like a place that you would want to be. Um, I mean, not necessarily want to be, but would be, you know, a, I don't know, make a f- uh, an offset to the terrible thing that's happened to you. Mm-hmm. And in this case, it's like another situation where, you know, you hear about these events all the time and maybe briefly the thought process is like, oh, that happened, that's terrible. Mm-hmm. Oh, those people, that's so sad. But you forget about this whole life now that was her, you know, she was a mom and a wife and she did accounting for the family business and now her life is sorrow and mm. being harassed by the police and having to go to court and yeah. you know what this crazy vigilante situation in the third act, third act um how these events really do impact people's lives i think that it, it, now that we get saturated with these stories it's it's hard to f- remember that just like random people the the depths of what changes right not just mm. like oh i you know i'm a widow but mm-hmm. the other thing i was thinking about is i'm currently re-listening to serial Okay. Which, um, number one, listening to it now, outside of the zeitgeist of it, um, I'm kind of embarrassed at how like into it I was. <laughs> really? Because this is a guy's life, and yeah. it's not fun. And it's yeah. not funny if, you know, he's right or wrong. Although the uh, uh, Funny or Die skit about Serial was pretty funny. Or was um, it the SNL one? Uh, the one with Michaela, Wa- Michaela Watkins oh, on okay. Funny or Die is much better. Got it. Like a connoisseur for uh, parodies of Serial. <laughs> But I the, never listened to it, so oh, interesting. Don't. Yeah, um, I don't care for a true crime podcasts. Sort of just watching how the legal system works, um, and and tactics uh, for manipulating the juries, and um, it's just incredibly frustrating that mm-hmm. so much of what happens is so you know not in the actual pursuit of justice. Um, is another frustrating aspect to this movie where. It, Someone is a victim, and then they're the victim again, and then they're the victim again, mm. and it's just kind of endless. Yeah, um, yeah it's tough. I also um, the the uh, Diane uh, Kruger's character is flawed in a way that's relatable, mm-hmm. um, 
where you'd really have to be self-righteous to say like, well, if you never did that, then this never would have happened. And right. um, you, you're terrible. Um, you know, like the way you talked about the mom in Florida project. Let's not talk about that. <laughs> I mean, that's a little bit different. It's a little bit different. Is it? Um, <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> um, wow, I am terrible. <laughs> well, I guess we've well, all learned something today. When the mask falls off, it makes it thud. <laughs> um, and I think her being so relatable is what made this movie. I don't know. I can't quite put my. I can't quite put my hand on the feeling exactly, but. It is a, it's that sadness where it's like that mm. sadness that you feel like you're tuned into the to humanity and their sadness and mm. watching her grieve right. um, was just it was really relatable. Yeah, and yeah. terrifying. I could see you know I think that I think a lot of us in the whole world feel um, like we are walking in her shoes right now, mm. just staring around at at the horror of uh, you know the, just the the mounting right-wing hatred and violence and and then you know mass shootings and and like you know and just being like what do we do and so this movie is just one woman uh walking down that path and we see what she does three billboards style (laughs) yeah three billboards outside of hamburg three billboards outside hamburg germany uh what are you giving this one jason you know, um, despite the fact that I think that it is a, a flawed movie, I am going to give it a binge it just on the strength of Diane Kruger's performance. I am holding out hope that the Golden Globes win happening uh, in the middle of Oscar voting season will lead to her getting a surprise nomination. Um, you know, mm. she, she did win Best Actress at Cannes. Uh, and uh, I think this is, you know, one of the best performances I've ever seen, period. Um, so, yes, yeah, so I'm going to give it a binge on the strength of her performance. I think that if I had seen, if, or I think if it had been up to me, this would have been the pick of the week. Um, definitely giving this a binge it. Um, In the Fade is out now. It's rated R for some disturbing images, drug use, and language, including sexual references. And that brings us to our last movie of the week, which is Film Stars Don't Die in Liverpool. Hollywood actress Gloria Graham finds romance and happiness with a younger man, but her life changes forever when she is diagnosed with breast cancer in the 1970s. Hey. You're the next door guy, right? Which makes you the girl next door. <laughs> What's her name? Gloria Graham. Big name in black and white films. Never heard of her. Won an Oscar too, if memory serves. Big fans of Gloria we were. Me and your mum. Is this like a date or...? person hangs out in a joint where you're labeled on the lampshade anyway. Miss Graham? Could you take me to Liverpool? I could get better there. Bella could take care of me. Gloria, no. We never expected that Gloria Graham in our kitchen. You know, you should go to a hospital where they can treat you, where they can actually... No! I've got four kids. I don't need five. I'm not a kid! You are all I need. We all know what's up, love, with Gloria. I don't know what you want me to say. You can start with the truth. Tell me how I look. The last time we saw Annette Benning was this time last year. Yes. 21st century woman. 20th century women. 19th century boys. <laughs> 21st century woman. <laughs> 
I, I like to make you laugh. I'm kidding. Oh, I know the name. It's like I'm hosting the show with my dad sometimes. <laughs> I'm like, Dad, that's not the name. <laughs> uh, I love during 21st century women. Yeah, she was great in that, and she didn't get nominated. And um, oh, a real shame. Yeah, that was that was one of the bigger shocks of last year for sure. Was that that movie just got totally shit canned? Um, but now Greta Gerwig at least is having her revenge with Lady mm, Bird. All right, since she should have been nominated for supporting actress for that movie. Definitely. And um, and Annette Bening uh, once again is the lead of a movie in which she is fully Oscar worthy, but will probably be overlooked. Poor Benning. She just gets squeezed out. I don't know why. Bad year. She gets squeezed out every year. It's always a competitive field. And um, and she tends to be sort of the best thing in movies that aren't always amazing. Mm. That's what made 20th Century Women so weird because that was an amazing movie. It really was. And she was amazing in it. It seemed like a, like a, like a shoe-in um, and then not even a nomination. I feel uh, like that movie was almost um, perfect Academy-wise because you have, like, such strong female characters. Mm-hmm. But, like, the vehicle is this, like, coming-of-age boy story. So even yeah. if you were, like, a dude that's, you know, a dude voter right. that was kind of a kind of a retro, uh, was kind of a, was not on board with the strong female characters, you still, right. like, felt something, right? There's a way in for everyone in that movie. And yet it had nothing. What a bummer. Uh, this movie and- has nothing for everyone. <laughs> And I wonder if 20th Century Women, if that had come out this year, uh, when we are so, in this moment, when we're so much more attuned as a culture to the stories of women and listening to women talk about their stories and the female experience, I have to wonder if it wouldn't have done better uh, mm. in a post-Weinstein Weinstein landscape. Because, uh, you know, not that the, the women in 20th Century Women uh, are not uh, necessarily victimized by any such thing. Uh, but just listening to their stories and considering how it is for women, I feel like it would have resonated more this year. Right. I mean, they they spend the movie, parts of the movie, teaching a boy about, like, feminism and, mm-hmm. like, um, you know, uh, how to have sex with a woman in right. a way that's pleasurable. Yeah. Things that, like, are very on point with... Um, consent. Con- yeah. Right. Consent. And also art fags. Also art fags. Which is, of course, my favorite. Uh, and now, um, here we are with Film Stars Don't Die in Liverpool, which maybe if it had come out last year, that could have been one that she almost but didn't quite get a nomination for. And then this year, she could have just swept right in and possibly taken it. Is is Maybe that's a new thing, like bending it is uh, like just kind of being off timing wise. It could be. Or, you know, benninging, benninging it, uh, you know, is also continually losing your Oscar to the worst actress. <laughs> Which in her case, as we all know, is Ms. Hilary Swank. Mm. To whom she's lost not once, but twice. Really? What's the other one? Uh, she lost the first time for American Beauty, yeah. uh, Boys Don't Cry. And then the second time she lost for, uh, I believe, Being Julia to uh, uh, Million Dollar Baby. Yeah. So, uh, yes, that is the, that is what Annette Benning must have in her mind when she goes to sleep at night, carrying the knowledge that she lost Hilary Swank both times Hilary Swank won an Oscar. I didn't think there was anybody who could dislike Hilary Swank more than I do, but clearly it's Annette Benning. It's Annette Benning. It's Annette Benning. Fair. The only two times that Hilary Swank was tolerable in a movie, she beat Annette Benning <laughs> for Best Actress. So that's real tough. Um, and so here we have Annette Benning playing, um, doing something that you think would be very Oscar friendly. She's playing an actress, a real actress, Gloria Graham, uh, who won an Oscar for the movie The Bad and the Beautiful. So she's playing an Oscar winning actress oh, in, her, in her final days. And you would think that that would get her because the Academy loves seeing movies about itself and its senior members. 
um, and its alumni. And uh, so, yeah, you would think this would be a, a slam dunk. But it seems like it doesn't really have that kind of momentum. And again, it might come down to the fact that the movie itself is not much more than a vehicle for Annette Benning to be amazing. Hmm. Although, to be fair, Jamie Bell is also amazing. Jamie Bell is also in... Um, well, he first became famous in Billy Elliot, uh, mm. which also co-starred Julie Walters, who is back in this movie playing his mom. And um, and Jamie Bell has been, um, you know, he's been, uh, you know, working consistently for a while. He was in Lars von Trier's Nymphomaniac movies. For some reason, that's all that's coming to, coming to mind. Okay. Because they, uh, because he did, I remember his, um, all the actor posters for that were of all the cast making their O-Face. Mm. And his was by far the hottest, by far <laughs> the hottest. And um, and he is damn hot in this movie. And I think the thing that the thing that I think surprised me the most was how sexy the chemistry was mm, mm-hmm, between mm-hmm. Jamie Bell and Annette Benning. You know, so our setup here is that Gloria Graham, uh, you know, she's in her, I believe she's meant to be in her late 50s um, as in the film's uh, present day. And um, and she uh, is experiencing the you know same sort of sad late period career that a lot of actresses have been subjected to, particularly back then, mm-hmm. um, where you know she's playing supporting roles in sort of unremarkable stage shows, and um, and she happens to be in uh, in Liverpool, and uh, that's when she meets Jamie Bell's character, who is also a stage actor on the local scene. And um, and uh, Annette Benning is doing this, you know, the, the, the choice she makes with her voice in this mm, movie, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's so like girlish and kittenish and, and coquettish and all the ishes really. And, <laughs> and, and, it, and yet she sells it. Like it's so not her, her voice. She has a clear, strong voice. I will sell this house today. <laughs> um, and I do you like your Annette Benning better than your Liam Neeson. Well, guess who was back? Damn it. Um, and, hey, Annette. Hi, Liam. Don't, we're not, okay. we're not doing this. All right. We're I'm do this. a whole scene, but um, I'll do it later, I guess. But so, uh, so yeah, so she has this, you know, this, you know, the very put upon sort of like fragile femininity. Um, but she manages to make like a fully, I, Rebecca, like I just did, I did a, a whole body roll when I said that. And Rebecca <laughs> yeah, had to watch me sure do it. Did. You sure did. It was my impression. I sort of shoved one tit up and yeah, tilted one shoulder back. That's exactly what you did. Um, and uh, that's what she does in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, and so, uh, but she she gives you a fully like you buy it the way she sells it. Mm. Like you 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 are realizing this this woman and all of her complexity, uh, all the different pieces of herself as you know her sort of ego versus her insecurity. Um, and, uh, and then just her of gradually facing mortality and, uh, and just, you know, the things that she is fragile about whenever they are brought and in, thrown into her face, she is mm, so mm-hmm. heartbreaking. She's so heartbreaking. Um, this is, this is a performance of Annette Bennings that, that should be considered, uh, should be included on any list of her very best, if only because she's playing such a different speed in this than she normally does. Um, and, um, you know, I think the movie's at its best whenever it is Gloria and her young lover, uh, sort of just having their romance because Mm. I was actually, I was like really on board. I'm like, I'm intrigued. And because they were selling it, there was no like weird, you know, in the beginning I was like, oh, okay. So this is like a May, December romance. Um, but then as it went on, 
I didn't even feel right making any sort of observation about the age because like they just had such a real sexual chemistry. And, um, and I felt like it was, uh, yeah, I just bought it. I bought it completely. And, um, and, but then, you know, they kind of are balancing it. We have this timeline of the story that hops back and forth between, um, just two years, uh, 1979. That's a weird kind of yeah period of time to go back and forth it really is it's a little like you're like what are we doing here you Um, you can't really tell the difference it's not like it's dramatically different that you like know yeah the movie the movie most movies suffer from too much exposition this one suffers from not nearly enough this movie starts goes right into it yeah it's basically the second act (laughs) whenever the (laughs) movie starts in her final act and uh so because in 1979 is whenever we have uh sort of like the the beginning of their relationship and then 1981 is when she returns to Liverpool um, while dying from cancer and takes up residence in his family's home uh, while they care for her, uh, while she is sort of, you know, in her in her final moments. And uh, and you're like, OK, so there were just two years separating these. Like, why not just tell it in a linear way then? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and uh, so it's a confusing structure that doesn't really benefit the movie. And uh, and they also don't really do much in terms of like setting up the character of Gloria Graham. No, they just give you her. There she is. She's Gloria Graham. Don't know who that is. Too bad. Yeah, I think we were sort of discussing uh, that when I when I got here, and you were just like, it just expects you to know who she is. Mm-hmm. And she's not that famous. No, no. Um, you know, like she is. Uh, you know, she is an Oscar winner for a supporting role in The Bad and the Beautiful. She's in It's a Wonderful Life. Uh, but you know, she's just, she's not super, super, she's not like a household name, old movie star. And, uh, so, uh, you know, so it's a little, but Annette does make you care though, even though I was like, I have no idea really who that is. Annette Benning makes you care, but it just makes you feel like there, it seems like there was so much that was rich and complex about her as a woman, um, that we get from just her career and the way that she, and apparently the scandal that drove her from Hollywood that mm-hmm. we just hear about in a very brief scene featuring like a 60 second long performance by Vanessa Redgrave. Oh, right. And, um, but then the movie is just too focused on sort of her dying, um, you know, her mm-hmm. sort of like her decline and her death, which is not interesting to watch, you know, like no. it's just kind of like, this is like, okay, yeah, this is the exact same it is in every movie. Um, why are we focusing on this? Uh, so I felt like uh, it kind of did Gloria Graham a disservice to, um, you know, to take this woman who has not had, you know, that much said about her. And certainly I don't think has ever had a movie made about her before. And then to just make it about such a specific sliver of her life and have half of it be about when she was just lying sick in bed for mm-hmm. uh, for like a few months. So mm, it's, it's a little misbegotten uh, as a narrative. It doesn't make all the best choices, I don't think. Um, I also thought it was, uh, and this is based on a novel, based oh, on the true story. Based on the memoir of the her younger lover. So it's not, there's not so much in the movie where you can necessarily, especially for what I'm, my complaints for it are really unavoidable, um, is that it, it, it is very, uh, it feels inaccessible in that um, you're looking at an actress who is popular in the 20s, but you're looking at her in the 70s. So I'm already kind of not following I don't know it's weird to think of somebody old but it's in the 70s mm-hmm. um, and, and especially when it's not someone who is who you do recognize and you're like right. oh okay no I've seen that person in their in their older years and then you have the fact that it's like a Hollywood star but in this small town uh, I mean it's Liverpool but it's still mm-hmm. like a, it's a very small area right it's like their right. house and right. their family very working class right um, so th- that felt remote as well mm-hmm. um, so I, it was very like wait what am I watching who, yeah. why is she there 
right who is he's and he's just like a local like stage actor that's kind mm-hmm. of strange um I, I i agree that the scenes of them drive the whole thing there's too much of like uh talking with his family yeah. um and all and that takes away from the more, more exciting parts of the movie because because when they dance there's a dancing scene in this mm-hmm, movie mm-hmm. that is just life <laughs> it gave me my whole life watching this scene with net bending and jimmy bell dancing and I believe that it was done entirely. They didn't have a choreographer. That was them improving in the moment, just vibing off each other as actors. Really? Yes. And uh, and it is so amazing and hot. And I could have watched it forever. Uh, I could have watched an entire movie of just Annette Benning and Jamie Bell sort of um, uh, uh, embodying the relationship of these two people via dance. I would have mm-hmm. just taken two hours of interpretive dance of Annette Benning and Jimmy Bell, that would have been better than this final film that we have. Yeah. Um, what are you going to give this one? This is a consume for me. Um, you know, I feel like it's similar to In the Fade in that I, for me, mm. in that I think that they're both um, sort of imperfect films that have really, really must-see performances at the helm. Um, but mm-hmm. for Diane Kruger's, I think it, it was just, it's, you know, this, Annette Benning's always great. Um, you know, this is a, a good, this is a musty performance for any Net Benning fan, but it doesn't quite put over the top the way that Diane Kruger did for me. So it's a consume. Uh, consume here as well. Uh, film stars don't die in Liverpool is rated R for language, some sexual content and brief nudity. And that's it. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of The Binge. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes if you're an Apple iPhone user. If you're on Android, there's Stitcher or SoundCloud app. Check out the website, thebinge.us. Jason is on Twitter at Excess Baggage. I'm at Fight Balance. Thank you so much for listening. Bye, guys. Bye. Binging on movies with Rebecca and Jason. You made it to the end. That's amazing. There, there goes, goes the, the binge. binge.